This is the Saltwater and Honey podcast. I'm Sheila. And I'm Lizzie. This podcast is about infertility, miscarriage, childlessness and faith. Now, as a disclaimer, we're going to uh, apologise from the outset. This episode suffers from uh, a hyperactive laptop battery trying to drown us out. Um, but the content is good and you can hear it. It's all about diagnosis D-Day, what it means and how it feels when you actually find out you're going through infertility. So sit down, relax, and we hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Hello and welcome to the Saltwater and Honey podcast, uh, episode two. (laughs) Very exciting. Um, We're so pleased if you're joining us Mm -hmm. and especially if you are someone who listened to the first episode and thought, well done, hang on there, I might listen again. (laughs) They might have something to say. Or they might improve. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it'll get better in practice. But do, again, we would love to hear from you. Mm. So hello at saltwaterandhoney.org. Get in touch with us, share your stories um, so that we can hear back from you yeah. tell us what you'd like us to talk about definitely if anything but today lizzie what mm. what would we like to talk about we want to talk about these moments when you're sat in the doctor's surgery in the hospital and they give you the news that you was the one thing you said you didn't want it to be yeah it's like diagnosis d-day mm. like i think everyone knows when they found out they were technically infertile or that they were going to have a struggle yeah there's just there is just somewhere where that is that realization it's not going to be straightforward i remember googling obviously like all the options like because after my first miscarriage they found like a cyst and and then they would i had to have like this laparoscopy and and we went back in and I was thinking, I really don't want it to be endometriosis because I'd found out about endometriosis. And of course, that was the diagnosis. Was endometriosis. Yeah. It was the one thing I said today. I was like, I don't want that. Yeah. And then that's what they said. That's really interesting, isn't it? How often by looking stuff up, it's almost a preparation in a good and a bad way. Mm. Um, that yeah. things like, I, I just remember when we were trying, we were trying for over a year um and I always think it's really funny when you say we're trying it's like yeah everyone knows what you were doing (laughs) when you're trying having a lot of sex but it wasn't romantic (laughs) oh my goodness definitely not but we'll talk about that we want to do a sex episode yeah (laughs) because infertility and sex needs talking about Uh um but I just remember thinking like I'd google and be like oh okay it takes on average it takes like a year or something Mm. um and you do all the the different things that you're like oh okay maybe because it's taking this long it's because of timings in the month or whatever and so you start to to delve into that Mm. and you don't expect I don't I I just didn't think there would be an issue I thought if anything it's stress yeah like I you know we don't think it's going to be you yeah like I remember when we found out we were pregnant and and it's like well I know you're not meant to say anything because um, you could lose the baby, but obviously, you know, we're just going to tell you anyway because you think it's not going to be me. Yeah. That's not going to happen to me. Yeah. Um, that would be someone else. Um, and so you, it's, I think, um, like, I love the NHS because everything we've had has been free. Mm. <laughs> and so if we were in another country, I, I don't know 
what how he would have coped. Mm. But the the way the news is handled, I think, can be really difficult. And there, are, especially at the beginning, when you're completely floored by what's being said to you, I was looking for some kind of guidance mm. or example or indication as to how to react, mm. as to how to deal with it. And the first point of contact is always the doctor. And they're not necessarily the best person to indicate yeah. how you should be reacting. Well, was yours your GP or a consultant? Um, it was, I mean, the first, let me think, well, I mean, with the miscarriages, like, it was always a doctor because often I ended up in A&E. And um, they were just really blasé because they were like, yeah, it's quite common, it's miscarriage, you know, just come. And when before I had, um, they were just convinced I'd be pregnant and have a baby. And they were like, and with the endometriosis, it's like, well, when you have a baby, it will help. Um, it's the same with fibroids, help. they yeah, say yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, and just like it was really straightforward. And it, it was so kind of like, obviously, it was all the time. And statistically, yeah, miscarriages are really common. But when you're looking for someone to say whether you should feel sad or not, or whether what you're feeling is okay, they're not gonna they're not gonna tell you that they're not. No. And and I, you're thrown into this world. You have no idea how to handle. And the first people that give you information, they're not qualified, and that's not actually their job. But you're you're trying to look yeah. for someone to tell you how to handle it. Well, it's such an emotionally triggering time. Completely. But yet it's such a physical. I'm imagining because obviously yeah. that isn't my story. No. I haven't experienced that, but I do know like the the support we got. It's all very medical. Totally. And the wording around it, everything is medical, and actually all you're looking for is some emotional yeah. support or understanding. Yeah. Of that, like I think, yeah. I think that's a, a tra- now your first miscarriage. Were you on a train? Yeah, so it happened on a train on the way back to Chester, and I spent. I saw blood before I got on a train, and um, I was with my family because we'd gone. My grandma had died, so we were at her funeral, and I didn't tell anyone because you again, you're still thinking this isn't going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. And then on the train, I spent a whole journey on the floor of the toilet in pain luckily it was a really clean is the best like cleanest toilet on the train I've ever been on and Dave just picked me up at the station um and the doctor he just said yeah it's common it looks like you've miscarried we just went to work the next day because yeah. he, he was the only person we'd seen and he didn't seem bothered yeah we were talking about this like before we started recording like that idea of Oh, yes, it's very common. Mm. You know, you, you've had a miscarriage. So lots of people have a miscarriage and then go on to have a perfectly healthy baby. Yeah. And so you don't necessarily think from that first miscarriage of no. what may lay ahead. No. Um, which I think is the same for anyone struggling to conceive. You don't think, oh, well, the natural conclusion will be that there's a problem. Yeah. You think, oh, maybe there, there might be an issue, but it will be overcome. Yeah. You don't think of it as being a significant thing that's going to drastically impact your life no you've got no idea at the beginning and obviously for some people it does resolve itself quite quickly yeah and and some many people do go yeah. on to have babies after one miscarriage and I don't think you can prepare because I know some people like can then catastrophize and then that's not helpful just like going all that you know because you don't know what's going to happen but the whole I think there's so many points in life when 
you feel like you should know what to do in that situation and you shouldn't know what to do in mm. that you won't know what, how to react at first because mm. it's uncharted territory for you. What do you think about that whole waiting for the 12-week scan to tell people? I think that we kind of did all manner of things. We told people, then we didn't. Um, I think the best thing probably is tell a few people that are close to you because then if you do have a miscarriage, then you don't have to then tell people you were pregnant, then you're not pregnant. Yeah. But also, especially if you've had more than one miscarriage, that pregnancy news is not going to be really exciting. It will be, but it will be very, very frightening and very stressful. And so you need some people who know the kind of complex mix of emotions you're mm. going through, like the fear, yeah. because you can go insane. I I often wonder as well, like it's quite it's almost like having a few guardians for you. Yeah. Where you know if something went wrong, you've got people who are gonna look after you, but also they're gonna look out for the other people who need fending off, maybe, or yeah. you know, that that protection around you is quite totally. important. Yeah. Um to be to be looked after. Yeah. Um it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because like all the different ways that you find out about infertility, like for recurrent miscarriage you have to have many miscarriages yeah. to find that out whereas for others so so like for male infertility you find out really really quickly mm. because of the way that they test like we were sent off for tests um me for blood tests him for his semen analysis and it's like very quickly if there's problems yeah i guess it, the quality of the sperm maybe doesn't get tested so people who have an issue with their swimmers being a little bit like, oh, I don't want to go there. <laughs> oh, that was, I just did my little sperm impression for Lizzie. <laughs> That'll be a recurring thing. I don't, I don't know. I was going to say, I don't know. Days were like really deformed. Um, <laughs> so I, just, I don't know. I just said, but like, there was a high. I'm dying. Again. This uh, is so... Like there was a high percentage of deformities <laughs> and then you just like, it's got two heads or two tails. I don't know. But like, you, but that's <laughs> like Game of Thrones. <laughs> I've never actually seen no. that. Um, but so for us, it wasn't even that there wasn't any deformity. There was like literally nothing there. And I remember saying, like, did you do it wrong? Like, <laughs> is there somewhere that it comes? Did it come out somewhere else? Like, how how is it not there? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and that was and so. But that and even then though, I remember from the first test when there was like no sperm in the semen analysis I literally was like maybe it doesn't always come out yeah. like I'm a bright person I'd say like I'm not an idiot <laughs> like, yeah. but like you it's amazing what hope does to you really? to be like oh it's okay he'll do it properly next time he'll really whack one out and <laughs> there'll be so many sperm <laughs> like, he was just put off my darling boy's never done that so he couldn't possibly do it right um and so it's just so then when we had that conversation with the GP mm. and our GP was so blunt like she was just right. I mean bless her like she's probably super stressed and like mm. seeing people all the time who are like my big toe is really hurting me yeah. and she's like just go home <laughs> like and, but but the problem was we weren't there for no reason you know it was it, it was a hard thing and and she's literally like yeah you've got zero sperm yeah that's zero sperm uh, and we're like zero was zero like I'd never until you shared what was happening with you guys. I'd never heard of that. No, me neither. I didn't even think that was possible. No, I know. I was like, how? How does that happen? Yeah. So then to be told, oh yes, it's called azoospermia, 
and we're like, can you write that down? Uh, <laughs> like, um, and that was really, like, uh, it, it was shocking. Yeah. It's, and that's where I almost wish there was counselling provision straight away. Yeah. As soon as you discover there's a problem, because you've got to process it, yeah. but you haven't got the skills to process it. You should be straight in. Literally, they're like, okay, just go down the hall, go into this room, and then yeah. you can talk, like, there's someone there to kind of... To, to help you go step. through that. Like, yeah. the GP can't do it, obviously, yeah. but so-and-so down here is going to help you process that a little bit before yeah. you leave this space. Yeah. Um, and so she was very clear, like, we'll refer you to the fertility clinic for further testing mm. um, because, obviously, there could be a variety of reasons. So, again, you latch onto that. Yeah. Oh, there's hope, you yeah. know. Um, and then you leave. Um, mine, mine was compounded by I like to tell how she phoned up because she was <laughs> filling out the form for our referral and having to put like she wanted to just confirm my weight and height what? and it was like so and annoying. so she's like on the phone going yes is that your weight is that your height uh huh uh huh <laughs> and she's like yeah so you're going to need to lose some weight if you want to have fertility treatment it's you're so like, hard it, it's such a hard thing like, isn't it's, that interesting it's like really it's male infertility is yeah. our problem but straight away it shifts on to my body needing to be smaller yeah. to do the fertility treatment like straight away it's so hot I remember Dave like with all the tests and like there's, there's ones with miscarriage with like endometriosis and like fertility tests like he gave some blood and then did it in a cup like and that was it and I think he kind of felt guilty yeah firstly because he really didn't have much to do but also like they're kind of casually like, yeah, we're just going to put some water up your room and a camera and, you know, you can go home this afternoon and go out to work. And, like, they, like, there's all those tests that they kind of play down, but there's a trauma involved yeah. in each one of those things that they do. Well, it's invasive. It is. Like, I don't know, invasive. is there something about, like, for a man, it's all out there. It's not, it's <laughs> not like, it's not inside them. Yeah. It's like, hey. It's like, Hey, it's there. There anyway. it is. Yeah. Whoop, there it, it is. It's right in front of you. <laughs> like, let's just deal with that, and you can deal with. You touch that. We won't touch that. But then it, for us, it's like, okay, let's check out everything inside. that's in there. Yeah. Um. But I do. I feel for men in that in that way. In that even when it is down to their infertility. Mm. That they quickly moved out of the way. Yeah. And and there isn't it's even like in I know so many people will talk about how in consultations the woman's the one who gets spoken to and not the man mm. as if it isn't a collective yeah. you know and obviously people approach fertility in different ways and we're coming from our experience of being heterosexual couples but like the male the male in that couple doesn't get spoken to no. about about what's going to happen as if it's happening to both of you because it gets shifted onto the woman no matter what yeah which no, is really, which is a bit really strange hard. yeah because it, it's such a it's such a strange and related oh we should talk about relationships let's marriage <laughs> shall another we another podcast yeah <laughs> right well let, let's, let's do bank a whole that. On that yeah um, but like uh it's it is difficult because you process stuff in different ways, but actually the way you're treated sometimes in the doctor's room, you're not, it's not equal to start with. And and the amount of tests, um, the, the medical procedures that you go through, again, isn't equal. Um, and that must call, that must be another source of tension or um, pain or unspoken, like, guilt. Because mm. like, I know Dave, he was just like, I want to help, I can't do anything. He's just watching all this stuff happen. Yeah. Um, I think something 
we ended up doing was um, not going straight back to work after hospital appointments because mm-hmm. um, they were really hard and exhausting and you had to process it. Yeah. And so often we'd like then go on and then go somewhere for like coffee or, or just, yeah, and we just did talk the same. together because yeah. you, you kind of, you need that and it, it takes a while for it to sink in. Um but I also you're in shock it. I think a lot of it yeah. is that there's an awful lot of shock yeah. and you think how would you treat someone who's just had a shock you'd give them a cup of tea yeah. with a bit of sugar in it yeah. you'd give them some sit time down. sit down yeah. and that's almost what you need like to plan yeah. every time you go for even just a consultation to get results or oh, something you, you have to have time to process it because anytime we didn't do that it was so much harder yeah. to, to reintegrate <laughs> back yeah. into life um, because you're consumed by thinking, oh, okay, mm. what was that? Uh, I need to think that over. What what would be the next steps then? And yeah. and if you haven't had a chance to talk that through, you don't you don't kind of give yourself any peace, do you? No, I think that's so true because I think there were times at the beginning is you, I hadn't appreciated. Well, you just kind of think it can't be that bad. Are you trying to move on? And and you, I don't know. I, I hadn't clocked like how how hard those appointments would be. And there were times when we were in Cambridge when I went by myself because I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's just a check up at the recurrent miscarriage thing. Yeah. And like, I wish I'd taken someone with me. Yeah. I can't believe I went by myself. Um, because like I wasn't prepared for that. And and you you can't go through that alone. You you just can't like it. But so many people do end up no. because also if you if your partner can't be there for some yeah. reason and you haven't told age. anyone, yeah. like I don't know at that point when we were first having investigations done and stuff, how would I, yeah, who would I have taken? Like how, yeah. who had I told? I, I hadn't told many people. No. Um, and it took us getting that real clear, like so we went for a private consultation mm-hmm. after seeing that GP mm-hmm. because one, where we lived, we knew it was going to take forever <laughs> yeah. um, and we were in the process that we knew within the year we might move. Yeah. So there was always that kind of, you know, process. Um, and so we had a private consultation and he was the one who kind of helped us recognise what kind of azuspermia it looked like mm. being because it, it, and that he recommended someone to get referred to, which in which sped up the whole process for yeah. us, which I think we were lucky because Ellis's work could cover some of that. Yeah. Um, but you can understand why people spend money on private um, healthcare because of the speed of it. Yeah. Because yeah. the way the waiting and and I'm I'm all for waiting. I think we we talk about that a lot, yeah. don't we? Like pausing. But sometimes with those things, when it's a diagnosis to mm-hmm. find out what's wrong that's almost crushing yeah. of your spirit like to have to yeah. wait months and months to get an answer and you feel like you're not being listened to sometimes like because I think when we were in Cambridge it, it was trying to get referred took forever yeah and um, oh yeah they, my, why was that well partly our doctor he couldn't even type like <laughs> I was, when I went to the surgery <laughs> to like check in I was thinking he was typing with one finger like like and I was like just I just wanted to like take over like I just type this and then he'd like backspace because he'd like done a letter wrong and it was awful the surgery was terrible but in the end yeah my parents like helped us out to get to kind of get in so we had like a a private checkup um with a doctor 
he put his hand on me and told me to relax. <laughs> then, like, he then was able to, like... Do you know, I find it so relaxing oh, when someone has their hand up me hand and they the say, like, let's relax. Your legs up, just, yeah. <laughs> what oh, a great technique. Oh, and you're in this, like, stark lit room. Oh. Um, but it was just to kind of get the process going because we've been waiting months and, and you kept... Like, the whole thing can take you crazy. Yeah. Like, I remember just our whole lives were dictated on when that letter went through the got through the letterbox you're just yeah. waiting for dates yeah the ne- that, when is that consultation oh, when is that next test be ages and you, you it was just mm. how you felt was just like oh it's not right yeah, yeah. The letter's not right i'm still waiting i'm still waiting so um i'm trying to think like with part of it is all of these follow-up tests isn't it yeah and so between us we probably had most most of them mm. because actually any woman who has to have fertility treatment has to have all of these tests pretty yeah. much unless there's something um unless it's clear that there isn't something wrong yeah um but like the one what's the one where they is put the hyster- dye his, oh no the dye, the dye is that a hysteroscopy no hysteroscopy is a water like where they inflate it yeah they inflate it and put water. a camera in yeah that's one that ellis came and said oh your uterus is beautiful and i wanted to punch him in the <laughs> face so hard <laughs> It's like that is not appropriate. It was when they it no, came out of the Yo, end. don't know. Like, you might you might want to prepare yourself. It'll be like wetting yourself. Oh you don't say Yeah, and it's like blood yeah. water, and <laughs> so, it's Again, I did that by myself. I took myself to I took myself to the hospital. You didn't. Yeah, because then we had to drive to Ridley that night for Dave to do his interview. Oh me. my goodness. Um so you well, um, like you don't know because they play it down you the, don't know what it's like the one where they looked around is the one where the doctor then said to me shall I just do your smear test while I'm here <laughs> I'm up there uh, and you know what you're like yeah yeah I I genuinely would rather that happen than not now actually yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah the one with the dye I found the most interesting partly because I think I really love the scans and see, I like seeing everything. Yeah. I'm quite intrigued by medical dramas and things like <laughs> but that was the one where it was like, Oh, why is it not going through that bit? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, it looks like there's like a mass of yeah. so like when we discovered the fibroids in there, I but you know straight away you're like, that doesn't look like mm. I think it's meant to look, mm. but I'm not sure. Um, and often then the sonographer goes really quiet. Yes. And you're like why aren't they saying anything? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. sometimes that, and I know there's something wrong because they've not talked for ages. Mm. Um, there was something I wanted to bring up okay. um, before we finish. It's the, fa- the face is like, uh-huh. No, it's really like, there was a time when we actually um, had to take control and we went to PALS, the... I can't remember what it stands for, but it's like if you're not happy with the medical treatment you get, oh, yeah. um, it's like a service that's free that every hospital has. It's like patient advisory liaison. So it sounds about right. Something, something like that. Because we um, the treatment that we had like after the sixth miscarriage, they were there were no answers, and so um, and the last miscarriage had happened because the baby had an extra chromosome which was complete bad luck it wasn't genetic it, it, it was not inherited it was just very bad luck and the phone call I had afterwards with the um, hospital was they were going to discharge us because um, really the only solution to my miscarriage was that I'd just get a Down syndrome test before I got pregnant again and then decide if I want an abortion or not and that they'd close my case and I was so angry and the woman she was just in there she was like I can't give you any advice 
So we actually, someone told us to go to PALS and then we got, we asked to go to another clinic and we went to a clinic in London that was an NHS clinic at St Mary's that was like the, um, at the front of like recurrent miscarriage research and PALS were really helpful and there are times when you need to take control. Yes. Um, and if and in instances like that you're not being listened to, you're being discharged and actually your care has not completed yeah um or you you just don't feel like you've had it explained to you properly like you have every right to get referred somewhere else and you can research like which hospitals have good reputations for certain like medical issues well that's interesting because actually we i don't know if you remember we got given quite a lot of advice from um the, we got referred to a different GP who yeah. was in charge of the like fertility referrals and yeah. something. I don't know how Cambridge organised it, but she gave me a load of information about patients' rights because when we got referred to the clinic we'd chosen for fertility treatment, they misunderstood what we were looking for. Mm. And in our first consultation, when you're so hyper-stressed, yeah. you know, um, he was saying, the, the doctor was insisting on like what the cost would be and we knew we were on the NHS and we couldn't understand where the miscommunication was happening Mm. and there was a total miscommunication there was and luckily though because we knew what we had a right to in terms of treatment it meant we knew we something was wrong and so we ended the meeting and then were able to resolve it by contacting the administrator and stuff and and all of those things but it was really stressful because actually we could have easily been pushed into a route that we we really didn't want to go like it was honestly it was all about ICSI um, and we were like, but we don't want to do IVF. Yeah. Like, we're not at that stage. We want to do IUI. Like, yeah. and it wasn't even... And it was all about it being the result. Mm-hmm. Like, you would get a better result. And it was like, but that isn't what we want to do. And it was so... I remember... I mean, Ellis, bless him, I was so angry. I like, remember when that happened. <laughs> it was really awful. Yeah. But then it all... It got resolved because we knew yeah. what I wrote. And I think that's the hard part is... It takes a lot to find out. Not everyone gets a GP who gives them right. that information. So f- using the HFEA mm. website, looking for the, what are they called? C- CCGs or yeah, what? CCGs. I don't know. Like the area, yeah, they all have guidelines of what they give, yeah. don't they? Yeah. And they must have that information. And yeah. it's like, if only someone could collate that for people and go, in your area, you get this. Yeah. You have these rights. If this happens to you, you can do this. Yeah. Because I think it's it's being informed in a situation where you feel such a lack of control. Yeah. It's so really, hard. I think you, there's so little you can do. You feel like yeah. you've got no power, you've got no... So you can't control your fertility. To, like, there are things you can do that you ultimately can't yeah a lot of stuff out of your hands absolutely trying to find ways to feel empowered now i wonder if we should like bring it back around Mm. and think about if someone was listening and they are literally in those first weeks months of diagnosis Mm. of discovering they're infertile like what would you want to say to them what would you want them to know don't like it's hard and stressful and don't kind of think that you're weak because you're struggling with it mm. um do don't rush back to work like after you've had an appointment or an investigation 
like don't be a like like do something afterwards like don't rush back into life like you'll need time to recover um it's emotional as well as physical like because just that invasion and there's a lot of shame in that I don't know just you feel quite exposed yeah I think yeah I think also it's keep talking to each other yeah I think that you will you will process it in very different ways Mm. so therefore if you can try and help each other understand how you're process processing it is quite useful um I think also it's that it is just it's painful it's really 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 painful and disappointing and hard and no one can prepare you for it and how you deal with it is how you deal with it like Mm. you don't have to behave like anyone else yeah um yeah definitely it you don't want to be in that room no like you you don't want to find yourself there um and it's kind of acknowledging that um, yeah it's okay to feel scared yeah um and find out what your rights are you know like when you feel strong enough to um you know just find out and push and find out what you are owed and what what you can get in terms of support and stuff and and hang in there and if you if you find your doctor your gp is not helpful or your surgery is just full of locums new surgery yeah because we did that we've done it twice now um because you like like there are elements of control there's not much but there are things you can do and if you're not happy with your surgery then like research reviews a lot of surgeries online and new surgery um if you feel they're not listening to you yeah and it is absolutely i i think we always say this it's a legitimate grief yeah it is absolutely okay to feel crestfallen to struggle to feel heartbroken um do not don't try and belittle your pain no. or diminish it like it's absolutely a legit pain um and we're yeah. sorry you're going through it it's really sorry but there are different groups and people to engage with when you feel able to who yeah. will understand and be able to go i get it and mm-hmm. i'm with you um yeah. I think one more thing is um, that you are waiting for a lot of dates, you're waiting for a lot of letters and appointments to come through, but don't put everything on hold. Mm. Like, don't not book any holidays this year. Yeah. It could be, you know, even just short short breaks, like um, like a mini break weekend away or something that uh, yeah. just, like, you, you really need that. Um, yeah. And I remember just thinking, yeah, oh, well, you don't know. And you just, and you... Oh, my goodness. I remember so many times that we used to go on holiday with friends every sort of May half term. And I'd be like, oh, I don't think I will because I'm going to be heavily pregnant mm. that year. Um, so that would be really difficult. Yeah. And it's like, I wasn't heavily pregnant. I was never heavily pregnant for any of those uh, years that we were planning. Um, and I'm glad I never missed a holiday. Yeah. Like, I don't regret that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just yeah. don't you can't put everything on hold because no. it's just going to make it harder and look after yourselves please yeah. um so thank you for listening yes. we hope that's been remotely helpful and we look forward to chatting with you soon. soon yeah take care, take care bye, bye. bye.